This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. Do you like boats? Do you like big boats? Do you like poor people and the rich people they serve on big boats? Are you always like, what goes on below deck? Hi, this is Anna Hosnier. And Nick Turner. The hosts of Deckheads. And we want to take you on a fun and goofy adventure. In this binge-style podcast, we will watch and recap every episode of Bravo's Below Deck and all of its spinoffs. And we're going to release an episode a day so you can watch along with us and listen to our silly daily recaps. Listen to Deckheads when it drops on February 20th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class. From HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy. And I'm Deblaine Chakraborty. And since doing this podcast, I've really come to love talking about some of the sketchier figures in history. And it took me a while to get there. I remember the old Marie Laveau episode and the Mad Trapper episode. They really frustrated me just because they're so obscure and you can't tell what's true. And Marie Laveau, I mean, there might have been more than one Marie Laveau. It's, it can be kind of frustrating when you first get into it. But by the time I got to like the Emperor Norton episode or Spring Heeled Jack last fall, I was pretty sold on the idea of these sketchy historical figures because sometimes it's really just as interesting to learn about the life someone invents than the life that they really led. Yeah, but while today it may be pretty easy to self-invent through the Internet and new media, for example, it was kind of tricky in the early 1800s in rural England. You were probably really limited in where you could go, for one thing, who you could meet also and what you could do. Yeah, especially if you were a young, poor woman like Mary Wilcox, who we're going to be talking about today. She ran away from home. She worked a bunch of odd jobs. She got fired. She had a foundling hospital baby who died. She took to begging. And it all seems like a pretty dismal life path until Holy Thursday or Good Friday, depending on what account you read, in 1817 when she wandered into the village of Almondsbury and became a princess. Of course, at the time, nobody recognized her as Mary Wilcox. She was just a semi-exotic looking young woman with long, dark hair, brown eyes and very white teeth and a turban. Kind of set her apart. Yeah, it kind of made her stand out a little bit in this village outside of Bristol. And she was also wearing a plain black dress and carrying all her belongings in one bundle. And she seemed to be starving and distressed. Kind of worse for wear. But what really made her stick out like a sore thumb is that she was speaking a language no one could understand. Yeah, so that confused the locals, and and they were thinking, okay, well, maybe she's just your standard foreign beggar. You know, some country that might 
be well-known. Somebody in town might speak the language. So they took her to the poorhouse, and no one there could understand her either. So she was taken to the county magistrate's house, Samuel Worrell, who was also known as Devil Worrell, who had a Greek manservant who was fluent in a few different languages. But nobody there could understand her either. And Devil Worrell was kind of skeptical in the first place. He thought she might just be a beggar who had a really elaborate hoax and asked for any paper she had. She didn't have any. She just had a few a few small coins, including a counterfeit coin. That was a big no-no, right? It was a big no-no, but that was one thing that made them start thinking she might have been the real deal because she didn't seem at all concerned by the fact that she had a counterfeit coin. It, it didn't seem to be a significant problem to her. So while Devil Worrell was a little bit skeptical, his American-born wife, Elizabeth, was pretty enchanted by this young woman. It was it was kind of an exotic addition to this sleepy town. Yeah, so they put her up, this mystery woman, they put her up in, a, in the village's public house, and it's here where the first clue of her origin, or so-called origin, emerged. She saw a print of a pineapple on the wall and got really excited, and she she identified it as Anena. So she's from some tropical locale, people are thinking it now. Seems. She recognizes a pineapple and is calling it by name. Some symbol of home. And that night at the lodging house, she acted even stranger. She didn't eat, but she drank tea and performed a prayer over every cup. She didn't seem to recognize the purpose of a bed either. Yeah, I think the landlady's daughter had to demonstrate to her, look how comfortable the bed is. You can sleep here instead of on the floor. But the next day, Mrs. Worrell comes by the lodging house, picks her up, brings her back to Knoll Park, which is the estate where they live, and started to investigate the girl's origins by going through books that the couple owned. And and the mystery woman seemed especially drawn to pictures of China in books and also to the Chinese furniture and, and little Chinese knickknacks that the worlds had in their home. So it seemed like maybe she had some kind of Asian connection. She also identified herself as caribou. So we have a name now, too, to, to put on this mystery woman, but she was still behaving really strangely and she wasn't really eating and nobody could understand her. So after a few days, she was finally presented to the Portuguese sailor Manuel Ineso. And this was really the first big break in, in who this woman might be. Yeah, he said he could understand her language, and he told the following story. Her name is Caribou, and she's a princess from an island called Javasu in the East Indies. She's, she'd been stolen by pirates and had escaped to the Bristol Channel. Okay, so the worlds are pretty impressed by that story. That sounds incredibly romantic, and we are, of course... Right in the thick of the romantic era right now, too. So, so they were into it. They invited friends over. They wanted people to, to see this woman and educated friends, too, who might be able to piece together more information about her background. So Caribou spent the summer at Knoll Park entertaining her host, and she really seems to have had a pretty good time. And, and when we discuss the real woman's actual background, some of this is going to add up a little bit. But she was very good at fencing and at archery. She made her own bow and arrow, actually. She would dance and carry around a gong, which she would play sometimes. She'd also pray from the treetops. She also swam naked in the lake and cooked a chicken curry. Yeah, so 
Good stuff for a guest to do. Multi-talented. And she also met with the Worrell's learned guests who extracted even more of her story from her and had her copy out examples of her writing. And finally, a Dr. Wilkinson from Bath even examined her head and found that there were strange incisions there that could only have been the work of oriental surgeons, is how he put it. He also helped identify her language as Rejang from Sumatra. Yeah, so word of this exotic princess obviously got out. There are all these guests coming over. And uh, the worlds certainly are, are trying to promote this woman staying with them. And so when the news finally makes it into the national papers, they they hear from somebody. And it's it's not good news. It's not somebody confirming her story. It's a Mrs. Neal from Bristol who said she knows exactly who this Princess Caribou is. She's Mary Wilcox, who is the daughter of a cobbler from the village of Witheridge. And Mrs. Neal says that the woman has stayed in her lodging house before and would even entertain her with this made-up gibberish language. And whenever she would leave the house, she'd go out in a turban. So it seems pretty likely it's the same lady. Yeah, and Caribou finally confessed, yes, it is true. The news went crazy over this confession. They were actually kind of impressed by the fact that it was such an elaborate fraud and an embarrassment for the middle class. Yeah, it was kind of, uh, it put the worlds in a bad place. And all of these so-called experts who had been chatting away with with Princess Caribou and trying to decipher her culture. But now that we know she's really Mary Wilcox, what's this lady's story? Why did she start this elaborate ruse in the first place? And where did she pick up the skills that that made it so convincing? I think if I was trying to pretend to speak a foreign language, I wouldn't be able to do it for more than an hour or so. Yeah, or pretend not to understand English. I think that would be would be even harder. So Mary Wilcox was baptized November 23rd, 1791, right in England. According to her father, a bout of rheumatic fever had left her a little off in the head from a from a pretty young age. Yeah, but she had been an active kid. She worked. She was kind of a tomboy. And at 19, she ended up leaving home. By the time she got to London, she was actually really sick and had a fire cupping therapy done at a poorhouse hospital. And that's where those weird scars that Dr. Wilkinson had found came from. She picked up some knowledge of Hebrew and Jewish customs when she worked as a nursemaid for a family who lived next door to a Jewish household. And she also used that opportunity to practice storytelling to the kids. So that's kind of where she picked up some of her skills in that department. Yeah. And and from there, she lived for a time at a Magdalene hospital for reformed women. So a a prostitute's home, a reformed prostitute's home. But she was kicked out when it was discovered that she hadn't, in fact, been a prostitute. I read in a review of of one of the more recent books on Princess Caribou, a lot of the information comes from an old narrative by John Matthew Gooch. But in a newer account, it's just that, well, somebody who lied this much, maybe we shouldn't entirely believe some of these details about her life. Maybe she was kicked out of the Magdalene home for, for other reasons, not because she she was too um, too pure to be living there. Yes, well, regardless of what happened there, we know that after that, she may have spent some time in France, and by February 1816, she had had a baby, which was identified first as the, ch- as the child of Exeter bricklayer John Edward Baker, and later as the child of a Frenchman that she had supposedly met in a bookshop. So mm. another really sketchy <laughs> up-in-the-air detail. But by late in the year, the baby had unfortunately died at the Foundling Hospital, and Mary ultimately ended up back in Devon, where she told her parents that she was off to Philadelphia 
Philadelphia. Yeah, she took her time getting to Bristol, though, which is where she would have sailed to America. And she was begging along the way, you know, just sort of just sort of working her way up the road begging and hanging out with gypsies, too, which is certainly where she picked up some of her modes of dress and some of her customs that were so convincing to to the, the people she ended up with. But finally in Bristol, she decided she'd get her ticket to Philadelphia and she set about raising the money she needed for the passage. But she noticed while she was begging and and trying to raise the money that the Breton girls who were also begging in their traditional lace headdresses were doing a lot better and they were getting a lot more money. And she decided that she wanted to, to figure out a way to put herself apart too. So she designed a turban, something Mrs. Neal later remembered and pretended to be French. And again, with the lying, she, she would sort of change her identity. If she ran into somebody who actually spoke French, then she would be Spanish and, and vice versa, just sort of playing her game the best she could and eventually making her way up to, to Almondsbury where, where she has her dramatic evolution into Princess Caribou. Yeah, so ultimately, the key to her success seemed to be the fact that she actually knew a few languages and she could understand, speak, and imitate them, and also her ability to convincingly not understand English at all. Yeah, that ability to feign ignorance of her native language really did help because after experts started hanging around and they honestly believed that she could not understand them, they would would discuss things they had seen and, and quiz her. And she could pick up on what they were saying and, and the books that they were showing her and sort of do what was expected of her, follow the customs that they thought a princess from this part of the world might actually do. So a really good memory came into play there, too. Yeah, she she definitely had a good memory. But after her discovery, after her outing, Mrs. Worrell did spring for a ticket to America. Mrs. Worrell seems like a pretty nice lady. I know, that's really generous. And when she got there, Mary was met by crowds at the dock, but her attempt to perform as Princess Caribou with a showman actually didn't go so well. So she ended up coming back to London in 1824 to try the same exact act, but also with very little success. I mean, I'd go see Princess Caribou if she was still doing her archery and her gong dances and stuff. I don't know. Maybe maybe the show just wasn't as impressive as the real deal. But by 1828, she was back in Bristol and married. And so what is this former princess, this imposter, going to do with the next 30 years of her life if she can't tour as Princess Caribou? get into the leech business. Yeah, she sold leeches to the Bristol Infirmary and was pretty good at it, too. She was really successful. And then she had her new little family and tried to play down her whole Princess Caribou past and lived a long, happy life until 1864. Yeah, and I'm I'm a little curious about what selling leeches really entails in the first place. I'm going to have to do some more research on that because, well, I don't know, or maybe not. It's kind of gross. <laughs> I might not want to yeah, think, think about, about it that anymore. carefully. Maybe you could just ask someone to write in about the leech business. Yeah, maybe if you have firsthand <laughs> knowledge of the leech selling business, let us know it. And let us know how you know, podcast. because we're really curious to know why you know that. Definitely. Um, but I mean, I think this is an interesting story. Again, these these sort of sketchy people who who reinvent their lives or uh, it's just interesting to weigh the combination of factors that are probably involved, possibly a little mental illness or, as her father said, some kind of effects from her rheumatic fever as a youth. Possibly she seemed way too smart. She did seem really smart and and 
had a lot of initiative to to sort of make herself into into something she couldn't be. But of course, she also seems like a compulsive liar. And there's a huge element of fraud and and betrayal behind it, because she she did betray people who were quite kind to her. Um, It's just there's so much going on. I think it's it's a strange story. I've never seen the movie. I, I think I might have to. I haven't seen it either. Look it up now. I I, re- I vaguely remember the title, kind of fascinating me as a little kid because it had a princess with a crown on the cover. In the movie story now, do you ever have like the covers that you can remember? Yeah, I do, but I usually watch the movies. Yeah, <laughs> I, I never <laughs> I don't remember. That I one. never saw the movie, but um, maybe someday you could also let us know if it's actually worth my renting it. Yeah, so you could write to us. We're at HistoryPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com or you can look us up on Twitter at Missed in History or on Facebook. Yeah, and that brings us to listener mail. So this email is from Dave and I thought it was completely appropriate for this podcast because it's about a made-up language. If only um, if only Princess Caribou had convinced a whole a bunch of other people to speak her language, she might have had a a case here. But Dave wrote in, Hi, ladies. I absolutely love the podcast. I've been a listener for years, but first time emailer. Have you ever considered doing an episode on Esperanto? It's a, quote, constructed language created in 1887 by a Polish man named L.L. Zamenhof with an incredible history. Meant as a culture-neutral international language, it's the only such language that actually gained a lasting following, which still exists today. Esperantists were targets of the Nazis and Soviets, and many were killed in World War II. Zamenhof was Jewish. It has a very rich literature, including many, many books originally written in Esperanto. Both the life of Zamenhof and the resulting Esperanto movement is just endlessly fascinating. Unfortunately, when it is mentioned in the media, it is usually dismissed as somehow like Klingon. So this is this is pretty interesting. I'm I'm curious to look into it. I just learned one of our co-workers knows a little bit about Esperanto, so we might have to consult with him. Yeah, and find out a little bit more about it. I disagree with you, though. I don't think Princess Caribou would be into this. Too many people. Too many people. Yeah, she was She was concerned about her true identity being exposed. I don't know if she wanted to have followers. Yeah, she would have wanted something, I think, that nobody else could catch on to. She was a little bit of a fibber. So. And speaking of fibs, we have an article on our website called How Lying Works. So if you want to dissect that topic a little more and find out maybe how Princess Caribou was able to use it to her advantage, you can look it up on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. We are going to Italy. After the success of last year's trip to Paris, we are planning another similar trip, still with defined destinations, this time to Rome and Florence. Yeah, we are going to spend a week exploring some amazing things. We're going to have city tours of both Rome and Florence. We're going to see the Roman Colosseum, the Vatican Museum, and the Sistine Chapel, St. Peter's Basilica, Vatican City. This is just a tiny fraction of all the stuff we're going to get to do. 
Yeah, it's May 14th to 21st, 2020. And to get more information, go to defineddestinations.com and scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History Class. This is Danny Shapiro, host of the hit podcast, Family Secrets. I hope you'll join us for some incredible conversations about family, identity, and what happens to both when the secrets that have been kept from us and the secrets we keep finally come to light. Listen and subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.